0: Wow, what a privilege it is to be with you all. I'm sorry I have not been able to be with you sooner, but uh, what a joy it is to be with you all. Greater joy than that is that we all gather together in God's house where He is present to to meet with us. As uh, Zalani just mentioned, at the Lord's table, we remember what the Lord Jesus did for us. Uh, In addition to that, Christ, as you participated in that supper, has lifted your hearts to heaven and and nourished you by His Holy Spirit. And He's able to do that because He raised from the dead and ascended into heaven and sat down, the majesty, the right hand on high. And while you've seen a, a visible word here preached in the Lord's Supper, Christ's body broken and His blood shed, the cup of the new covenant, um, and his body broken for you. Now you hear the Lord speak to you again. Uh, this is the spoken word, the heard word, that thunders forth from heaven where the victorious king is seated in power. And so uh, listen carefully as you hear God's word uh, this morning. It comes to us, amazing text from 1 Corinthians chapter 15. So if you have your Bibles, uh, please open with me there. Uh, The text is 1 Corinthians chapter 15, and we're reading from verse 35 to 49. So, 1 Corinthians 15, 35 to 49. This is God's word for you, His people, so pay careful attention to it. But someone will ask, how are the dead raised? With what kind of body do they come? You foolish person, what you sow does not come to life unless it dies. And what you sow is not the body that is to be, but a bare kernel, perhaps a wheat or some other grain. But God gives it a body as He has chosen, and to each kind of seed its own body. For not all flesh is the same, but there is one kind for humans, another for animals, another for birds, and another for fish. There are heavenly bodies and earthly bodies. But the glory of the heavenly is of one kind, and the glory of the earthly is of another. There is one glory of the sun. And another glory of the moon and another glory of the stars. For star differs from star in glory. So it is with the resurrection of the dead. What is sown is perishable. What is raised is imperishable. It is sown in dishonor. It is raised in glory. It is sown in weakness. It is raised in power. It is sown a natural body. It is raised a spiritual body. If there is a natural body, there is also a spiritual body. Thus it is written, the first man Adam became a living being, the last Adam became a life-giving spirit. But it is not the spiritual that is first, but the natural, and then the spiritual. The first man was from the earth, a man of dust, the second man is from heaven. As was the man of dust, so also are those who are of the dust, and as is the man of heaven, so also are those who are of heaven." Just as we have borne the image of the man of the dust, we shall also bear the image of the man of heaven." This is God's Word. Well, if you have dabbled in gardening, or maybe more than dabbled, you will know uh, a little bit about the curious nature of seeds. A seed could be large or small, rough or smooth, round or oblong, uh, light or heavy. while they have lots of differences, they have one thing in common. When you plant a seed, what it grows into looks nothing like what you put in the ground. Now, we don't know necessarily from the seed what kind of body it's going to produce. It could be a shrub or a tree, a herb or a carrot, a banana, a soft succulent, or a thorny high-felt bush. Well, the apostle Paul picks up this analogy of a seed to explain to us one of the most important aspects of our faith, the death and resurrection of the Lord Jesus and the death and resurrection of our bodies. And as he does so, he teaches us something really important, that our hope of a resurrection body lies firmly in the person and the work of the Lord Jesus Christ, our Savior. Well, earlier in this chapter, I'm sure most of you are fairly familiar with First Corinthians chapter 15, wonderful passage of the New Testament. Paul has reminded the Corinthians of amazing news. I preach to you what is of first importance, that Christ died and that he was raised and that he appeared to save us and so on. This is the gospel. Paul announced the news of the gospel. But now, Paul turns from just being a news reporter announcing what has happened to being a news analyst. He's going to write to his, uh, the, this church, the Corinthians, and tell them, what does it mean that Christ rose from the dead? And what is your body going to be like in the resurrection? See, even as we mention that phrase, a uh, resurrection body, you might be thinking, wait, actually, I do wonder what that will be like. Will I transform into a supermodel? Uh, will I be six foot three or five foot seven? Uh, will I look like a grandparent or will I look like a teenager? Uh, will I get tired? Well what will what will happen? Now these are good questions and they're they're harmless enough. And we should certainly think about the resurrection. But there are some questions which can be dangerous. Questions like the the questions that Paul is seeking to answer in this passage. See, some questions are just curiosity, and other questions express a hardened unbelief of God's Word. Now, as an expert pastor, Paul predicts some objections that there may be in Corinth. Um, These are people who have raised objections to the resurrection. So, Paul writes to a theoretical doubter or mocker in Corinth. And this doubter or mocker wants to know, how is the resurrection from the dead possible? And even if it is, what kind of body is it going to be? You know, the body has decomposed. How can a body be raised from the dead? And what would that body be like? Well, Paul's underlying issue with that question is it expresses unbelief. Because in the ancient world, the the Greco-Roman culture that Paul is writing to, these people do not believe in the resurrection from the dead. And they not only do they think it's a ridiculous and impossible thing, they think it's a gross thing. Why would you want to be back in your body when you could escape to the spiritual realm? Uh, what's on earth, what is physical, what is matter is evil. And we need to get rid of it. We need to shed the body, which is an obstacle from union with the one. That kind of idea. So for them, the resurrection is impossible and nasty well paul has a harsh response to this theoretical doubter he says you foolish person uh you could casually render that uh, greek as stupid <laughs> what you you have no idea if you are going to doubt the resurrection from the dead he says he's going to start now talking about nature and say Well, I'm going to show you things in the real world, things that you know, that you believe and are true. So how much more true can it be of you in the resurrection? Uh, You see, these people will have put pressure in their church communities on those who believed in the resurrection, trying to cause them to doubt the gospel that they had heard. And this has been true right from the time that Jesus raised from the dead. That this is a, the fact that we believe in the resurrection is a scornful thing to be mocked by the world. And people will mock you for your belief in a resurrected Savior. The thing is, the, the Bible calls such a person a fool because they deny, as Paul does here, a fundamental reality. That when that tombstone rolled away, everything changed in human history for Christ raised from the dead in resurrection power and has shared that with his people. I see, those who don't know God's power are foolish because they don't understand reality. So when people seek to mock and scorn you, you are, you are to accept this as evidence of the truth of Christ's resurrection because he promised this would happen to you. Uh, so even when The world comes against us. That can strengthen our faith. And that's what Paul is writing to the Corinthians to do in this text. He says, You are the foolish ones for doubting this because God's power is obvious. It's everywhere in creation, it's evident in the church and so on. Well, to respond, Paul gives a few lines of evidence. The first is he says, Well, do you want to see God's power? Look at seeds. And then secondly, he says, you want to see God's power? Look at the different types of bodies there are on the earth, and look at the different types of bodies that there are in the heavens, and their differing glory. They're not all the same. The seed transforms, and different bodies have different glory. So Paul goes with the beginning of the first one talking about seeds, he uses an analogy that will be common in everyday life. It's common enough for us, but for people in agriculture like this, very understandable. And he talks about the seed. To answer the question, can the dead come back to life? He says, well, yes, in the same way as a seed. Now, we know that a seed doesn't actually die when it's planted, but it, it gets buried in the ground and something new and different comes up in its place. The people of, of, the ancient, uh, of, the, of ancient Palestine considered this burial of a seed a kind of death. So the point holds. A precedent already exists in the natural world for death and life and if God can do it with a seed he can certainly do it with his people he can certainly do it for you and I at his return and a second point Paul directs the Corinthians to consider that a seed and a plant are of the same species but they look different they have different bodies You may plant a small seed and up grows a baobab. that look completely different. Uh, A small mustard seed produces a large mustard tree or or bush. But not only that, creatures on the earth have different kinds. We have a body for people. We have bodies for animals. uh, We have bodies for fish in the sea. We have bodies for birds in the sky. All of God's creation, He has made them, and He's made them differently. And now there's also different bodies in the heavens as we look up. We have sun, moon, and stars, all of different glories. So there's different bodies. Why is it so surprising then that the resurrection body will be different to this present body? There's this continuity, right? This, the plant uh, is of the same species as the seed, but it looks a bit different. So there's... Continuity and discontinuity. Our bodies are going to be like these bodies, but they're also going to be like another body, which Paul is going to get to. Well, if we understand what Paul is doing with these two lines of evidence, then we can understand the resurrection. All of these points that he's raised should remind you of something. They parallel the creation days. He talked about forming the bodies of people, of animals, of plants, of fish, of birds, and then of the sun, the moon, and the stars. So just by talking of these images, Paul is saying the same God who created the universe, with that power, he is certainly able to raise you from the dead. So that's Paul's point in in verse 42. He says, so it is with the resurrection of the dead. Just like a seed which is sown in death and a different body is raised up as a plant, so too our bodies. The body we sow in death is not identical to the body raised to new life in the resurrection. And that's why he calls it a bare kernel, sort of like a a wheat or another seed. It looks um, like it does now, but it is going to flourish and grow into something spectacular. The creation as it is now is good, but it is going to be extraordinarily glorious in the new creation. And Paul says, again, to this imaginary inquirer, you've seen God's power in creation. If the resurrection body is different from this body, so what? Big deal. God is capable of making all different kinds of bodies. Now, suddenly in the text, Paul makes a transition and he starts bringing comparisons between the current body, the old body, and the new body. Now, we all do this when we are trying to explain something to people that they don't understand. We say something that they know it is like, and then they say, but it's not like that. So, Paul does this in four ways. He says, the, the, this body is perishable, but the new body is imperishable. This body is sown in dishonor. It is raised in glory. This body is weak, but it is going to the new body is powerful. This is a natural body. It is raised a spiritual body. That's why he says, if there is a natural body, there is also a spiritual body. Now, we're not told much in the Scriptures about the resurrection body, the nature of it. And we may want to know more than the Scriptures tell us. But we should always remember then what the Lord said in Deuteronomy 29, 29 to His people Israel. The hidden things belong to the Lord, but the revealed things belong to you and your children. Everything that we need to know for life and godliness, for godliness in this present age and hope for the next life, is revealed to us in the Scriptures which testify to the Lord Jesus Christ. And so we should take what we do have in this passage about the resurrection body as enough to accept it, to believe it, to cherish it, and to hope in it, Uh, because this resurrection is our resurrection. And we will get all the details when we have that body. But yet, what a glorious passage this is, how much wonderful uh, revelation is given to us about this promise These contrasts, okay, so the first one begins with what is perishable and what is imperishable. So, perishability is the possibility of death and decay. And we know that. Uh, Almost everyone in this room will have lost a loved one. And so, the reality of, of death is one of the consistent things in human history as a result of sin. This body has the capacity to decay. But the heavenly body, the resurrection body, is imperishable. It cannot be destroyed. There is no power that can destroy that body, for it is raised by the power of the Holy Spirit. The next contrast is that between what is sown in dishonor and what is raised in glory. Now, dishonor is not in the modern sense, the idea of uh, our bodies not being good or, or anything at all. Rather, dishonor means, the, the way it's used of, uh, by Paul later in, in his writings, as a vessel, a vessel that's uh, fit for its final use. This body is fit for an earthly existence, but we need to be kitted out for a heavenly uh, existence. And that is the resurrection body raised in glory, transcendent, beautiful, magnificent. Paul describes this in Philippians 3.21. He says that Jesus will transform our lowly body to be like his glorious body by the power that enables him even to subject all things to himself. So what is Paul promising? The power evident in God in uh, in his control of the universe and rulership over everything. God's the full force of his sovereignty. He will apply that in service of redemption for you that your resurrection body will be like the Lord Jesus' own body. The third contrast is between weakness and power. I don't know about you, but it takes till about Monday afternoon in my week when my body starts getting weak and tired after rest on a Sunday. Uh, I can't wait for a day when I do not get tired, I do not get sick, I do not get malnourished or damaged or subject to any danger of any kind. Uh, That is the body we will have, a body that is filled with the resurrection power of the Lord Jesus Christ, the same Spirit that raised Christ from the dead. Now, that Spirit dwells in us and has made us new creations in Christ, but we still await our resurrection bodies. And finally... His last uh, contrast is between the natural body, which is sown, uh, which is better. You could translate that as the earthly body or the the fleshly body. The body which is raised is spiritual. Now, that doesn't mean it's not matter. Matter is good. What God has created is good. And we will have uh, bodies. But it is a body that is shot through with the very spiritual power again, that raised Christ from the dead. It is, a, it is a body from the Holy Spirit, a spiritual body. It's empowered. It's glorified by God's empowering and glorifying Holy Spirit. These are difficult to contain uh, as, we, as we think about how majestic these promises are. But this is for us. And Paul says, do you know how you can know this? As Paul so often does, he says, as it is written in the Scriptures already. And what, where does he go? Well, he goes to Genesis chapter 2, verse 7. He goes right back to creation when God formed Adam's first body. And uh, he says there, quoting from Genesis 2, the first man, Adam, became a living being. Now, if you go and read Genesis 2 verse 7, you won't see first, uh, first man. Rather, it'll say Adam became a living being. That's because Paul uh, self-consciously is now writing scripture as he writes to the Corinthians. And so he's saying the first Adam became a living being. And wonderful truth that is For from the dust, God made Adam and breathed life into him. And he's saying just in that same way, he then continues the sentence and creates for us one of the most amazing uh, parts of the New Testament when he he adds, the second Adam became a life-giving spirit. Adam had life in him for Adam, but Christ has life in him for all of his people. Adam couldn't give life. But Christ gives and sustains life because he has life in himself, this resurrection life. So Christ becomes to us a life-giving spirit. Now, in the creation narrative, Adam was formed from the dust. Now, God said that this dusty body we can, or this dusty man, we can call him Dustin, uh, that this is very good. So, this doesn't mean, again, that the earthly body is bad in any way. But Paul says, where the body is sown in these couple of verses, he's talking about creation. God created the first man, Adam. Now, when Adam was created or sown in the creation, his body was sinless, right? This is before the fall. But, he, he, his body was perishable, dishonorable, in the sense not not fit for the final purpose. It was weak, and it was earthly. You see, these characteristics, where Paul gives these contrasts, our bodies didn't become this way because of the fall. Our bodies were earthly from the beginning. And what does that tell us? Well, it tells us that God always had an end. A plan in mind to transform these earthly bodies into spiritual bodies. And God gave Adam a mission, a, a law, in a sense, in the garden where he said, you can eat of anything except for that fruit. Now, if Adam had obeyed, God would have glorified him. And his body would have been transformed into this resurrection-type body, this imperishable body. But we know the tragic, world-altering consequences because Adam did not obey God's command and plunged humanity into sin. What does Paul say? In Adam, all died. Adam was what we call a federal head. What happened to him? Happened to all who were in Adam, for the for whole of his posterity. That's what the scriptures are very clear about. That because of Adam's sin, all perish in their sins. No one is good, not even one. Now, what Paul says in verse forty-eight is he calls Dustin, uh, Dustin here, and we we get our very nature from this man, Adam, or Dustin, as was, see for verse 48, as was the man of dust, so also are those who are of the dust. As the one in whom we were born, born in Adam, we share in his nature, his earthly nature, as well as his sinful nature. But the focus here is on his earthly nature, that his body could be perishable, uh, corruptible, and all of that. But, but in contrast, praise the Lord, there is not just one Adam. But Paul says, the last Adam became a life-giving spirit. And here's the extraordinary news. For God's people, for those who are in Christ, it says, as, as the heavenly man, so are those who are in him. So just as in Adam we inherited who he was, In Christ, we inherit the nature of His spiritual body. As is the man of heaven, so also are those who are of heaven. This new body complements heavenly existence. It's compatible with the heavenly realm, the realm of the spirit that is heaven, the new creation. And for this reason, the last Adam's body was raised incorruptible glorious, powerful, and spiritual, so that God may give to all His people that very type of body. And so, Jesus secured for you already through His resurrection a new body, a heavenly body. And in the very same way as we, in this age, we look like Adam. In the new creation, we will look like Christ like his body and what a truly remarkable promise that is for us as we as we hear these truths they nourish and sustain our faith like a good fertilizer to a young seed that as we await this heavenly body and we are we are waiting um, we we are being nourished by God's promise to us that's the nature of Christian hope, is that it's it's based on God speaking to us His truth, that we may know what our future is, that it is secure, and that though we die in as perishable, we will be raised in glory. Uh, so this passage for us is our hope, hope of deliverance from our present state. And this is will be of particular consolation to those experiencing the effects of the corruptibility of the body. People who are in pain, have diseases, are ravaged by cancers, who have mental anguish, sinful desires, chemical imbalances, uh, heartbreaks, losses, suffering, these are all... Aspects that in a fallen world, our bodies can suffer. But it will not be like that for the resurrection body where there will be no tears and no pain and no death and no decay. And no heartbreak, no pain. All banished because the bodies will be spiritual in the age to come. Now, that is a wonderful promise, but we we also need to understand, how is it that that resurrection body of Christ becomes our resurrection body? And that requires going back to the beginning again. As we said, if Adam had never sinned, he would have become a new creation in this full new creational glory. He would not have died, but he would have been transformed. We know this is true because Paul explains in this very text that God's plan in history was a change in the nature of man as created. Because it says, first the natural, and then the spiritual. And this is talking about Adam before the fall. First the natural, and then the spiritual. But since we said the the spiritual was going to come through Adam's obedience to God in the garden, what do we do we have the disaster that adam did not obey and every one of us knows that we have not been able to obey god's law perfectly so how do we how do we get to heaven how do we get the heavenly body well this is the this is the gospel that jesus christ supplied the obedience necessary for us to be in heaven with god that he obeyed the law perfectly and earned for us life with god forever this is extraordinary that as one man failed to obey and in him we all fell so one man has obeyed and in him we will all be raised from the dead in glory just as he was by the holy spirit this is the wonderful news god's plan for redemption was a second adam not as a plan b but as plan A, to save us from our sins and to give us life forever. And although we know from the scriptures it testifies of God's obedience, the the guarantee for us that God accepted his obedience is what? That he raised Jesus from the dead. That is his vindication. That God said, this man is righteous. That is why death could not hold him. Because death had no claim. He was without sin, yet treated as though he had sinned for our sake. But he had not sinned, and death could not hold him. And the Father accepted his sacrifice for sins and his righteousness on our behalf, and raised him from the dead to prove that that is his righteous and holy Son, who then raised into heaven and sat down at God's right hand. As a result, as Paul said earlier in his letter to the Corinthians, in Adam all died, in Christ all are made alive. All of God's people raised in Him. And here's the crux of the truth of the gospel, how this truth is appropriated for us in our lives. It's through faith in Christ's work, not your own works, that someone may boast, because no one's able to offer acceptable works, but to trust in Christ's work and His righteousness will be counted to you by God the Father. And what does that guarantee? If righteousness leads to being raised from the dead and given glory in the new creation, that means that exactly what God did for Christ, He will do for you. Because if you trust in Jesus you have that same righteousness that Jesus, that the Father accepted when you raised Jesus from the dead. So you who may not be near death or you who may be near death have nothing to fear because you will be raised. Not just raised as Christ was, but in the same way, with the same body. And that's the way to think of what it means for Jesus to be sat at the right hand of God. That you have a man in heaven. Who is the guarantee that you will be in heaven with the Father as well? And you know, we mentioned that this is the, uh, the week of the Passover festival. Well, the Lord Jesus Christ was raised on which festival day? The day of first fruits. Hence, Paul calls him the first fruits of the dead. He is the first fruits of the new creation, firstborn from the dead, first fruits. There is one man in the new creation, and He is the Lord Jesus Christ, and He is your guarantee that you too will be with the Father in the new creation. Now, that alone as a promise is enough for great hope in this life. But in addition to this promise, God has actually sealed it to you. Because when Christ raised from the dead and ascended into heaven, He sent the Holy Spirit. And you have a down payment. That's what Paul calls this in Ephesians. That the Holy Spirit is given to you. You have a taste of heaven. Of the new creation. Because that spirit of heaven. The, the realm of the spirit. That same spirit. Is in you. In you. And that is a seal. A promise. A guarantee for you. heaven, what wonderful news that Paul can say that Christ in us, therefore, is the hope of glory, meaning the hope of glorification, the promise of heaven. No wonder Paul proclaimed, if you think about this news, no wonder Paul proclaimed that if there is no resurrection, then we are dead in our sins and most of all to be pitied. But Christ rose from the dead that third day. Our Savior is alive seated in heaven. And He is present with us here today by the power of His Holy Spirit to nourish us, to encourage us in our faith through His Word and by His Spirit. And so, since Christ was raised from the dead, so will you be on the last day to live forever along with all of God's people. So let's praise our triune God this day, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, forever to be blessed.